joining us for our fourth podcast in our ASC Topic 842 Leases series. I hope you were able to listen in on the first three discussing what is a lease and determining if a contract contains a lease, general lease concepts in the guidance, and lessee accounting if applicable. If not, I encourage you to do so. My name is Dawn Patterson and I am a CPA and Audit Senior Manager in both the commercial and not-for-profit groups here at Barry Dunn. Today, we will be discussing lesser accounting under ASC Topic 842. ASC Topic 842 left accounting requirements for lessors largely unchanged. As a result, the vast majority of operating leases should remain classified as operating leases and lessors will continue to recognize lease income from those leases generally on a straight line basis over the lease term. ASC Topic 842 retains alignment in key respects between the lessor accounting guidance and the revenue recognition guidance in ASC Topic 606. For example, whether a lease is similar to a sale of the underlying asset depends on whether the lessee, in effect, obtains control of the underlying asset as a result of the lease consistent with the transfer of control principle for a sale in ASC Topic 606. And a lessor is precluded from recognizing selling profit or sales revenue at lease commencement for a lease that does not transfer control of the underlying asset to the lessee. Also consistent with the guidance in ASC Topic 606, the lessor accounting model in ASC Topic 842 does not differentiate between leases of real estate and leases of other assets. As you recall, FASB introduced the new finance lease terminology to replace the former capital lease terminology from a lessee standpoint. From a lessor standpoint, this is referred to as a sales type lease. From a lessor perspective, if a lease is not concluded to be a sales type lease, it is either classified as a direct financing or an operating lease. A lesser is required to classify a lease as a direct financing lease when both of the following conditions are met. First, the present value of the sum of the lease payments plus any residual value guaranteed by the lessee that is not already reflected in the lease payments or any other third party unrelated to the lessor equals or exceeds substantially all of the fair value of the underlying asset. And second, it is probable that the lessor will collect the lease payments plus any amounts necessary to satisfy a residual value guarantee. When a lease is not a sales type lease, but meets the criteria to be classified as a direct financing lease, the lease transaction effectively converts the lessor's risk arising from ownership of the underlying asset, that is asset risk, into credit risk. Consequently, the most faithful representation of a lessor's involvement in a lease that transfers substantially all the risks and rewards incidental to ownership of the underlying asset to one or more third parties is to recognize the lessor's financial net investment in the lease and financial income on that net investment. We will now shift our discussion into lease components. A lessor, like a lessee, is also required to perform the same allocation of consideration between lease and non-lease components. As a practical expedient, 
lessees may elect by class of underlying asset not to separate lease components from non-lease components, but instead to account for a lease component and associated non-lease component as a single lease component. No such accounting policy election was available for lessors until FASB issued ASU number 2018-11 leases topic 842 targeted improvements. As related to separating components of a contract, this ASU amended guidance in FASB ASC 842-10-15 to permit lessors to use a practical expedient by class of underlying asset to not separate non-lease components from the associated lease component. Instead, lessors may account for those components as a single component if the non-lease components otherwise would be counted for under FASB ASC topic 606, revenue from contracts with customers. Also, both of the following conditions must be met. First, the timing and pattern of transfer of the non-lease components and associated lease components are the same. And second, the lease component, if accounted for separately, would be classified as an operating lease. For sales taxes and other similar taxes collected from lessees, ASU number 2018-20, narrow scope improvements for lessors, permits lessors as an accounting policy election not to evaluate whether certain sales tax and other similar taxes are lessor costs or lessee costs. Instead, this ASU permits lessors to account for the costs as if they are lessee costs. Under the election, lessors exclude all collections from lessees of taxes within the scope of the election from the consideration in the contract and from variable payments not included in consideration in the contract. Now our discussion will focus on the recognition of a lease at commencement date for a lessor. The commencement date of a lease is the date on which a lessor makes an underlying asset available for use by lessee. Depending on the type of lease, sales type, direct financing, or operating, the accounting recognition requirements vary. The following discussion addresses the recognition requirements at the commencement date for each of the three different types of leases. Because a sales type lease is akin to a finance lease from a lessee's perspective, in which the lessee would reflect the asset on its balance sheet, a lessor is required to de-recognize the underlying asset at the commencement date of the lease. However, the important point to note here is that this de-recognition should only happen if collectability of the lease payments is probable. In addition to this de-recognition, assuming collectability of the lease payments is probable, a lessor is required to recognize each of the following. A net investment in the lease, selling profit or selling loss arising from the lease, initial direct costs as an expense if, at the commencement date, the fair value of the underlying asset is different from its carrying amount. If it is the same, these costs are deferred. Consistent with the treatment previously described for sales type lease, an entity is required to de-recognize the underlying asset at the lease commencement date of a direct financing lease. In addition, an entity is also required to recognize both of the following. A net investment in the lease, 
a selling loss arising from the lease if applicable. It is important to note subtle distinction between the initial recognition requirements of the sales type lease versus the direct financing lease. As you will note, the sales type lease recognizes both selling profit if applicable and any initial direct costs upfront at the lease commencement date. This is not the case for the direct financing lease. In fact, both selling profit if applicable and initial direct costs are required to be deferred at the commencement date and included in the measurement of the net investment in the lease. The final type of lease, an operating lease, results in the lease number of requirements at the lease commencement date. No underlying asset is derecognized as compared to the sales type and direct financing lease. In fact, the only recognition at the lease commencement date is the deferral of initial direct costs. Now that we have discussed the recognition at the commencement date, we can now shift the discussion to recognition after the commencement date and subsequent measurement. Once a lease has been initially recorded, there are certain accounting requirements for the subsequent measurement of the lease. Our discussion is presented according to the various types of lease contracts. Note that the measurement requirements within the scope of the following discussion are similar for both sales type and direct financing leases. Once a sales type lease or direct financing lease has been initially recorded and the underlying asset has been derecognized from the lessor's balance sheet, a lessor is required to recognize all of the following subsequent to that lease commencement date. Interest income on the net investment in the lease, variable lease payments that are not included in the net investment in the lease as income in profit or loss in the period when the changes in facts and circumstances on which the variable lease payments are based on occur, impairment of the net investment in the lease. Note that ASU number 2016-13, Financial Instruments Credit Losses, Topic 326, amends FASB ASC 842-30-25-9 to refer to credit losses on the net investment in the lease. A lessor should determine the interest income on the net investment in the lease in each period during the lease term as the amount that produces a consistent periodic discount rate on the remaining balance of the net investment in the lease. The lessor should increase the carrying amount to reflect the interest income on the net investment in the lease. On the flip side, the net investment in the lease should be reduced to reflect the lease payments collected during the period. This recognition of interest income over the lease term, coupled with the reduction of the receivable through each recurring lease payment, is similar in form to the interest expense incurred by a lessee. It's important to recognize the symmetry in the lessor's pattern of recognition over time with that of the lessee. The subsequent measurement for an operating lease is different compared to the sales type and direct financing leases. For an operating lease, a lessor is required to recognize the following after the lease commencement date. The lease payments as income in profit or loss over the lease term on a straight line basis, unless another systematic and rational basis is more representative of the pattern in which the benefit is expected to be derived from the use of the asset. 
Variable lease payments as income and profit or loss in the period in which the changes in facts and circumstances on which the variable lease payments are based on occur. Initial direct costs as an expense over the lease term on the same basis as lease income. Our podcast will conclude with a discussion on lease modifications for lessors. The accounting requirements for lease modifications for lessors varies depending on whether the lease modification relates to a sales type, direct financing, or operating lease, assuming the modification is not accounted for as a separate contract. The information we will be discussing next is categorized according to these lease types. If an operating lease is modified and is not accounted for as a separate contract, the lessor is required to account for the modifications as if it were a termination of the existing lease and the creation of a new lease that commences on the effective date of the modification. Next, depending on the classification of the new lease, the accounting recognition also varies. For example, if the new lease is considered an operating lease, the lessor should consider any prepaid or accrued lease rentals relating to the original lease as part of the lease payments for the modified lease. Alternatively, if the modified lease results in a sales type or direct financing classification, the lessor is required to derecognize any deferred rent liability or accrued rent asset and adjust the selling profit or loss accordingly. If a direct financing lease is modified, and is not accounted for as a separate contract, the resulting accounting recognition depends on the modified lease classification. If the modified lease continues to be a direct financing lease, a lesser should adjust the discount rate for the modified lease so that the initial net investment in the modified lease equals the carrying amount of the net investment in the original lease immediately before the effective date of the modification. Alternatively, if the modified direct financing lease is now classified as a sales type lease, the lessor should account for the modified lease in accordance with overall lease guidance applicable to sales type leases and use the effective date of the modification as the commencement date. As a result, the lessor should calculate the selling profit or selling loss of the lease, the fair value of the underlying asset as its fair value at the effective date of the modification, and it's carrying amount as the carrying amount of the net investment in the original lease immediately before the effective date of the modification. Finally, if the modified direct financing lease is now classified as an operating lease, the carrying amount of the underlying asset equals the net investment in the original lease immediately before the effective date of the modification. The important point to note here is that for the original direct financing lease, the lessor derecognized the underlying asset. However, if the lease is modified in a way that results in an operating lease classification, that underlying asset should no longer be derecognized, but instead should be recorded on the lessor's balance sheet as the net investment before the effective date of the modification. No profit or loss is recognized in this example. If a sales site lease is modified and does not result in a separate contract, as in the previous discussion, the resulting accounting depends on the modified lease classification. If the modified sales type lease results in either a sales type or direct financing lease, 
classification, the lessor is required to adjust the discount rate for the modified lease so that the initial net investment in the modified lease equals the carrying amount of the net investment in the original lease immediately before the effective date of the modification. Alternatively, if the modified sales site lease results in an operating lease classification, the carrying amount of the underlying asset equals the net investment in the original lease immediately before the effective date of the modification. Note, this is the same accounting treatment as if a direct financing lease was modified and resulted in an operating lease classification. And that brings us to the end of our discussion. Thank you for joining us today as we discuss lesser accounting in ASC Topic 842. Please join us in our upcoming podcasts on presentation, disclosures, and transition methods under the new lease guidance.